to grab your Bibles tonight. Just remain standing. We are going to hasten to the word of the Lord. Amen. Just grab your Bible. Remain standing tonight. We're going to be going Amen. To the book of Proverbs chapter 30. Book of Proverbs chapter 30, and while you are turning there, let me say what a privilege it is tonight to have all of our guests in the house of the Lord. I see some guests here tonight. Would you help me one more time? Put your hands together and welcome all of our guests that are here. We are so excited to have you in the house of the Lord tonight, and uh, we're grateful for all that the Lord is doing. I did not get a chance on Sunday night uh, to uh, say this, but Sunday morning, uh, Savant was baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. I think we ought to give God a praise tonight for that. And then Jakara was baptized in Jesus' name and she was filled with the Holy Ghost. Would you help me rejoice tonight? Hallelujah. And uh, there's no telling what God wants to do before we leave tonight. I want to broach a subject tonight that I have not uh, approached in quite some time. And over the past couple of months, there have been a couple of Tuesday nights that I uh, made plans to teach what I'm going to teach tonight and felt as though the Holy Ghost directed me in a different direction. But I feel like tonight I need to uh, approach this subject and uh, I'm excited tonight and I hope you came ready for the word of the Lord is it okay if we just dive into some things tonight book of Proverbs chapter 30 and I want to read two verses of scripture verse number 18 and verse number 19 and if you have a, a pen and paper I encourage you to take notes Grab your phone app, your note app, and uh, let the word of the Lord uh, marinate in your spirit tonight. It says, there be three things which are too wonderful for me, yea, four which I know not. 
the way of an eagle in the air. These are things that the writers said they are beyond my ability to really comprehend. The way of a serpent upon a rock and the way of a ship in the midst of the sea and the way of a man with a maid. Tell your neighbor, the way of a man with a maid. And for a few moments tonight, I'm simply going to teach the lesson, what's love got to do with it? <laughs> I know some of y'all thinking about something else, but I need you to turn to at least five people standing around you and ask them the question, what's love got to do with it? Come on, ask them, what's love got to do with it? <laughs> Amen. You may be seated tonight. I want to talk about God's plan and protocol and all of those things regarding courtship and dating tonight. All right. And so I want to begin by saying that the Word of God does not deal with the subject of love in the context of courtship or dating. Never will you find a verse of Scripture in the Bible where God associates what we know as love in any kind of a connection to the process of courtship and dating. I often laugh when young people say they are in love because really love has such a definition that goes far beyond what they think they are experiencing. And so the only place that the word of the Lord ever deals with the subject of love is in the context of marriage. For example, the Bible uh, commands the husband, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And so in the scripture, in the context of courtship, love is never identified. However, the subject of purity is emphasized in scripture concerning courtship and dating. In other words, God's concern is not about love when it comes to courting and dating, but it is about us keeping ourselves pure and presentable unto God. God's concern is with us doing things in biblical order and in decency. And this is antithetical to the world's concept of courtship and dating because the world will tell you to follow your heart. Follow your heart. But the Bible plainly tells us that the heart is exceeding and desperately wicked above all things. 
And so if you adopt the mentality of the world and follow your heart, you'll end up where the world is at by following their heart. I can't get no help up in this Holy Ghost church. The Bible says that, that, that the carnal mind, which is tied to the heart, is, is the enemy of God. It is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can be. And so you can't follow your heart. As a matter of fact, the Bible commands us uh, or tells us that where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. Don't follow your heart, but rather command your heart to follow your value system. Amen, somebody. What you place value on, what you consider to be right and wrong and, and what your character determines, that is what your heart uh, will gravitate. We don't run around letting our heart guide us. We should run around guiding where our heart goes. Amen, somebody. That's in Matthew 6, 21, if you're taking notes. And so there is a precedent clear uh, back in the Garden of Eden that human relationships are always to be preceded by relationship with God. Before God gave Adam a helpmeet, he first communed alone with him in the garden. Adam's first companionship was not a woman, but it was God. God wanted him to understand that you are complete in me. Amen, somebody. That I am your creator. That I am a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. That I am your first love. Hear me, somebody. If you don't establish that relationship first, all subsequent relationships will never meet the potential that they were designed to meet. And so before we ever even consider relationship with a man or a woman, we should first ensure that we we have a relationship uh, with our heavenly father. Amen, somebody. If you think getting married will solve your problems, if you think getting a husband will solve your problem, or getting a wife uh, will solve your problem, you are sadly mistaken. Uh, and if you don't get it right, uh, not only will it not solve your problems, uh, but you may have just opened up a can of problems uh, that you wish you never would have opened before. I, can't, I just need about 15 honest people in the building that have been there, done that, uh, got a t-shirt uh, and you ain't afraid to say amen to the word of the Lord tonight. And so God even deals with the church of Ephesus in the book of Revelation chapter 2 verses 2 through 4 he says I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake you've labored and you haven't fainted nevertheless I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Whatever we do, we must never forfeit 
said, our walk in relationship with God uh, in pursuit uh, of human relationships. We have to make sure that our walk with God holds a place of preeminence and priority in our life so that we are always able to delineate and say if that human relationship in any way, shape, or form jeopardizes my relationship with God, then it is not ordained by God. Amen, somebody. Tell your neighbor, my first love is Jesus. And so it is important tonight that we discuss the fact that the purpose of God creating a helpmeet for Adam is so that the two would become one. And I don't have time to, to try to theologically exegete the circle of theology here because God uh, creates her from his flesh. From one, God makes two. And then God takes two uh, and makes them one. When two people come together under the auspices of marriage, the Bible says the two become one. And the scripture references over and over uh, the words uh, of Adam. You are bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. There is something that happens. Uh, and this is why uh, uh, you have to understand uh, the severity uh, of what happens uh, when people fornicate. They think that they are just coming together physically, uh, but they are actually trying to participate uh, in something that was designed by God uh, to be part of a supernatural uh, union between two people. Uh, and when you come together in the physical, uh, there is a binding that happens in the spiritual. Uh, but when it is done outside of the auspices uh, of the vows with God, uh, it is a distortion version uh, of connectivity uh, and it damages the people because uh, it is brought together uh, and it is torn apart. Uh, it is brought together uh, and then it is torn apart. Uh, this is why 1 Corinthians chapter 6 uh, and verse number 18 says uh, to flee uh, fornication. Uh, can I stop there and preach for a moment? Uh, you're not strong enough uh, to, to stand against uh, the temptation. Uh, oh, I know you think you're superhuman, uh, but that would mean you're more human than anybody else in the Bible. Uh, I could go down the list and name a few. Uh, even King David, who was a man after God's own heart. Uh, hear me, when it comes to fornication, uh, there is one way to overcome it. Uh, run. Uh, flee from it. Uh, don't stand there. Uh, don't stay there. Uh, don't play with it. Uh, don't think you can just uh, flirt with it. Uh, you have to flee uh, fornication and here's why the Bible says that every sin tell your neighbor every sin that a man doeth is without the body but he that committeth fornication 
sinneth against his own body. Why? Because he is distorting the flesh becoming flesh and the bone becoming bone. And it is done outside of the blessing and the auspices of God. And so it literally is a sin against the body. And when you look at it in the context of being a born-again Christian, you are part of a bigger body, the body of Christ. And so when you are a Holy Ghost-filled person and you commit fornication, you are adulterating the relationship of the church and the body that you're a part of. And you are, oh, come on, somebody. You are not just sinning, but you are sinning against the body. That is why we deal with fornication on a whole different level because you're not just talking about telling a little lie to your coworker or doing, no, no, no. When you are fornicating, you are sinning against the body. Is this all right tonight? Fornication is self-destructive. It is self-destructive. And so, if we are getting involved with someone who is not fit for marriage, then we set ourselves up for trouble when we become involved for other purposes outside of God's purpose. Because the purpose of courtship in dating is toward marriage. Come on, I need you to get that tonight. The purpose of dating and courtship. So if the end result does not have the potential of marriage, then we have no business in courting and dating people because it leads to places that we're not ready to go. It leads, come on, it opens up doors that we're not ready to walk through. But I'm just going to date to have a good time. You can date and have a good time being friends. You can date and have a, you, you can have a good time and fellowship uh, with groups of people. Uh, and out, come on somebody, I just need a few amens in the building tonight. Uh, you don't have to be intimately involved. Uh, you don't have to be their guy or their girl uh, to have a good time. Since when does that define uh, having a good time? Uh, we don't date just to date. Uh, we don't call just to court. This ain't a used car lot where we're trying cars out uh, and we're test driving automobiles uh, to see if they're good. To, no, 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 no. That's not how the kingdom of God works. There is a whole process and protocol to determine if that door should even be opened. We don't open the door to figure out if it's the right one. We figure out first uh, if it's a legitimate scenario uh, before we even open that door. Amen, somebody. You can have fun without putting yourself at risk of violating God's purpose in your life. And so we have to view courtship as part of the process of the two becoming one. Not just some social status defined by the world's standards. As a matter of fact, if you were to look up the word dating, a common, uh, a common definition that you would find is that dating is a form of courtship 
consisting of social activities done by two persons with the aim of each assessing the other's suitability as a spouse. This is why it's imperative to take the time, the carefulness, and the prayerfulness to consider the person you are thinking about courting or dating. Amen, somebody. If you're writing notes, I want you to write this down. Selection. It is important to first establish that God has criteria and principles that are sacred concerning the selection of somebody that we would open the door of potential with. You don't have to look long in the scriptures to find the chaos resulting from those who violate that criteria or those principles. Judges chapter 14 is a classic example. Here we find Samson who keeps going to the Philistine camp and he's looking at the ladies in the Philistine camp. Not every place is an approved fishing pond to catch fish from. Where you look for somebody <laughs> makes a big difference. And if you think you're going to change them and where you find them is not where they're going to be later, uh, you are being deceived. He goes to the Philistine camp. These are non-believers of the one true God. And he spends enough time socializing there without boundaries and guidelines that he begins to become attracted. He lets his heart guide him instead of his character guide his heart. He tells his parents to bring him a woman from there and listen to what begins to happen. His parents tell him, could you not find a woman from your own people? Samson, couldn't you find someone who, who has the same vows that you have to God and the revelation and obedience to live for God? Samson, why would you look for somebody amongst the Philistines? And instead of Samson, hear me, listening to the admonition of the God-placed people in his life, uh, he ignores them, he rejects their word, uh, and his life is destroyed because of the person he begins to date. Never married her, never became his wife. He never even made it that far without losing out with God. And the life he thought he would have with the Philistine woman was nothing but a lie from the pits of hell that left him blind and dead at an early age and missed out on the call and the will of God for his life. First Kings chapter 11, verse 1 through 10. Solomon has tremendous promise and anointing and inheritance but, Sam, but Solomon has a problem. 
And here's what 1 Kings 11, chapter 1 through 10 says. But King Solomon loved many strange women. Now that didn't mean their eyes were crossed and they were pigeon-toed. When it says strange women, it meant that these were women who did not love the same God that he loved. That were not sold out to God the way he was sold out to God. That did not have the revelation of being separated to God's work that Solomon had in his life. Come on, somebody. Together with the daughter of Pharaoh, Egyptian women, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Zidonians, the Hittites, of the nations concerning which the Lord said to the children of Israel, ye shall not go in to them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely, listen, they will turn away your heart after their gods. If you think you can remain in a neutral position uh, as a Holy Ghost-filled apostolic uh, while simultaneously uh, being involved with people that are not in the world, uh, you are sadly mistaken uh, against the Word of God in your life. Uh, If you remain in that place, uh, it will be a matter of time uh, before your heart uh, is far from your God. But here's what it says, Solomon clave to these in love. What's love got to do with it? I can tell you it wasn't love the way we know love. And I don't have time to teach a Bible study about the the word love and and, and phylos love and agape love. The kind of love Solomon had was what is known as eros, where we get the word erotica. It was carnal attraction. It was lust mistranslated as love. And what most people call being in love is not being in love. It's being in lust. I can't get no help in this Holy Ghost church tonight. He clave unto them. You know what that meant? Despite the word of God, despite the people of God, despite the counsel in his life, uh, he would not let go. And he had 700 wives. I don't know why we always paint Solomon in such a good light. Oh, King, wise King Solomon. You know what we found out at the end of his life? He wasn't too wise after all. He died a failure, disappointing God and backslid. 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old, that's important, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. You know what that tells me? That it didn't happen overnight. 
And Solomon got lured into the same trap that some young people do. Uh, look at, I'm talking to him and I'm still praising God. Look, I'm, I'm calling her and I could still feel God's presence in the altar. I got it on the DL. I've been talking to him on the phone and sending little messages, and I can still come to church and feel God. I can still come to church. I'm doing stuff in the in the dark that I shouldn't be doing. And look at me. I'm still, uh, you don't even understand uh, the subtlety uh, of the work of the enemy in your life. Uh, and it's happening in a way that you don't even realize uh, what is happening to your soul and your heart being turned from God. Uh-huh. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David, his father. You want to know what the difference was? David would receive correction. David would receive instruction and rebuke, but Solomon was stubborn. Oh, Lord, help me, Jesus. He was stubborn. He was, he was full of self-will. It's going to be my way. I, I'm going to do it the way I want to do it. Uh, I, 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 and it was stubbornness, uh, which the Bible says is as the sin uh, of idolatry. Then did Solomon, listen to this, build an high place for Shemosh. These are pagan gods. And I, I, I encourage you, go home and study about the god Shemash and the abomination of Moab in the hill that is before Jerusalem. And he built high places for Molech. This was the god with the big belly full of fire that they offered their babies as human sacrifices. What is an apostolic young man with the call of God on his life uh, doing, building these kind of things? I'll tell you what it was. Uh, he didn't understand the importance uh, of being connected to the right person. Uh, he just downplayed uh, and marginalized the word uh, of God that came to him over and over uh, telling him don't you dare chase after worldly women don't you chase after those worldly guys he was only one generation removed from King David who slew Goliath and all it takes to destroy an apostolic lineage is for a young person to start messing with someone who is not sold out to God. And go from an apostolic pew to a life of sin. Verse 8, and likewise did he for all his strange wives which burnt incense and sacrificed unto their gods. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice. God said, I'm so interested in trying to get Solomon to turn. I'm going to come myself, not just once, but two times. This is why I'm trying to tell you, uh, if you think you can turn the heart of people, uh, then you think you're bigger than God. Uh, because I promise you, God loves them more than you do. Uh, and if they won't listen to God, uh, what makes you think uh, that they're going to listen uh, to you? Uh, you better get out of God's way uh, before the judgment and the wrath of God uh, intersects your life by reason of association. 
and commanded him. God commanded him concerning. God didn't suggest. If you think living for God is just about suggestions, then you're misunderstanding what it means to live for God. Because when you're sold out to God, uh, you understand uh, if God said it, uh, that settles it. Uh, it doesn't care if I like it, uh, I don't like it, uh, if I disagree, it uh, doesn't matter how I'm feeling, uh, it doesn't matter what my heart's, come on somebody, uh, it says the Lord uh, had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. And so, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Guideline or rule number one in selection. You ready? Do not even entertain the thought of a young man or young woman who is not in the kingdom of God. We don't believe in flirt to convert. You're not flirting to convert. You're flirting in ignorance and putting your soul in danger is what you're doing. It's not even a thought. It's not even a consideration. It's the very first filter. The very first filter that passes. Oh, they don't live for God? Boom. No need to pass go. No need to collect $200. I don't even have to pray about it. God's answer is no. That means you don't need their phone number. That means you shouldn't be sliding into their DMs. Come on, I don't care how cute they are, how rich they are, uh, how talented they are, uh, how kind they are. Come on, somebody. Uh, don't even open up your life uh, to that temptation. Find someone who is in the altars of the house of God. Find somebody who has tied themselves to the altar. Come on, I need more help than this in this house tonight. Find you. Don't even, I don't care if they got a tie and speak in tongues. Uh, if they sit on the back pew uh, and they are cold uh, and they never move uh, and you never see them repenting uh, and you never see them broken uh, and you never see them, come on, uh, that's not the one, baby. Uh, you need to look for somebody uh, who is sold out uh, to God. Uh, look for the young lady uh, who responds every time the word of God comes forth. Uh, look for the young man uh, who's not afraid to repent uh, and wrestle his flesh in an altar. Uh, look for the one uh, that's on their feet amening the word of God. Uh, look for the one uh, that holds the Bible close to their chest. Uh, look for the one that doesn't make excuses uh, why they don't do this and why they don't. Come on, somebody. Uh, it matters. It matters. And here, I've got to hurry tonight, here are some questions that need to be answered as you even think about considering these people. Are you ready? Number one, how is their relationship with God? First thing that 
answer. I know they go to church, but what does their walk with God look like? Because there's a lot of lost coins in the house. There's a lot of lost people that, that are backslidden on a pew with a suit and tie, with a skirt and some heels on whose heart is far from God and there's no fire in their walk with God. What does their relationship with God look like? Another question you need to figure out an answer. How is their relationship with the man of God? What is their relationship with spiritual authority look like? And I, I knew it's going to get quiet right here. What is their relationship with the leadership that God has placed in their life? Hear me, if they're not submitted to the authority of God in their life, then you're going to be in trouble in a relationship with them. Honey, you don't want a man who's going to try to assert authority, but he doesn't know how to be under authority authority. I can't get no shouters. Let me preach over here for a minute. Baby, you don't want some man uh, who's going to ask you to submit, uh, but he won't submit to authority in his life. Uh, sir, uh, you don't want a young lady uh, who doesn't know how to submit to authority uh, because if she won't submit to godly authority, uh, she sure ain't going to submit to you as the husband of her home. Uh, and you'll be dealing with the spirit of rebellion. Uh, oh, I wish I had a witness up in this house. You need to find out uh, what their submission status is uh, to authority in their life. Mm. What is their disposition towards authority in general? Or are, are they lawless? We don't refer to police officers as pigs. We don't make donut jokes. We don't disrespect and kick against. The Bible says you ought to obey the laws of the land. I can't get no help up in this Holy Ghost church. If they have a predisposition uh, toward lawlessness, uh, they're going to pull you into a life uh, that is riddled with the consequence uh, of living a lawless life. Are they predisposed to always saying, ah, that doesn't really matter. Ah, that's a stupid guideline. Run. What is their relationship like with the people around them? What is their overall attitude look like? Do they have a good rapport with people? Or do they have a difficult time being able to manage all of their relationships? Because if you connect yourself to that kind of a person, all of the relationships that you've worked so hard to develop are going to die and suffer because the two become one flesh. Evil communication. Corrupts good character. How do they treat people? Are you paying attention to how they treat people? 
Are they dismissive and disrespectful? If that's how they treat other people, but when they're around you, they're just cute and kind. It's a show, honey. I can't get no real people in the building. And when you finally get together and you get hooked up, uh, they're going to treat you the same way uh, that they treat everybody else. Come on, someone. When all the tingles and tangles calm down uh, from being married uh, initially, uh, they're going to treat you just as disrespectful. What are their interests and goals? Is there commonality there? What do, they, what do they spend their time doing? I can't go too far down that road, but you, you better pay attention to these things before you ever even make the idea or selection. What are their priorities? Brother Cornelius, you ought to be inspecting their time, their talent, and their treasure. When the appropriate time comes, you ought to look at their checkbook and see what they spend their money on. If they don't want to be accountable about that, run. I can't get no help up in the church right now. If they don't want to be accountable about what they do with their money, run. Over 90% of divorces in the U.S. end over finances and financial tension and disagreement over money. When it gets to the right place, you need to ask their bishop and pastor about their faithfulness in tithe and offering. See, I lost half of you shouters right there. Your dating application would get rejected right there. Some of us would just get rejected right there. The, so that's, that's why you need to be faithful because the Bible says that my job is to give an account for you. That I may do it with joy and not with sorrow. I want to be able to say, man, they are faithful to God. Man, they are faithful. I don't want to have to, that's an embarrassing conversation when I have to say, you know what? They're not faithful to God. And you know what? If they're not faithful to God, there's a good chance they're going to struggle being faithful to you. This is too real for some of y'all tonight. If they can't be faithful to God, but they always got a new outfit on, there's a problem, Houston. I can't afford my tithes and offering, but they go out to eat every other day. There's a problem, Houston. I can't afford to give my tithe and offering, but they sporting. Oh, uh, come on, somebody. There's a problem, Houston. You connect to that, and your house will have holes in the money bags. Ooh, see, some of y'all, this is just, you can't even say amen. You can't even look to the person sitting next to you because God's still working on you. God's still doing the work. God, you, you, you're still under construction. You're still working on some, some things right now. Are they generous and considerate? Or are they selfish and self-centered? Is everything always about them and has to be their way and their preference? 
you connect with them, it's going to be a miserable road to walk. What's love got to do with it? Young men, young ladies, don't let flattery fool you. A lot of people can talk a good game, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Can I just preach this for a moment tonight? Don't let your struggle with insecurity cause you to fall prey to someone who takes advantage of you by giving you platitudes. I can't get no help up in here. Huh? Don't let the struggle you have with insecurity uh, be taken advantage of uh, by somebody who knows how to tell you what you feel like uh, you need to hear to feel your insecurity. Well, he tells me how pretty I am. And he makes me feel good about myself. That should come in your walk with God. You don't need a man to do that for you. And if you need a man to do that for you, you're going to be disappointed when he doesn't do it for you. And your relationship is going to be built on the wrong stuff. Come on, somebody. Sir, you better be aware when you have an ego problem uh, because you'll be deceived by those batting eyes uh, and a woman who says, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man. Some of y'all know the reference. Don't let flattery fool you. You better be smarter than those cheesy pickup lines. <clears throat> wow, your legs must be really tired because you've been running through my mind all night long, baby. Is your name Visa? Because you're everywhere I want to be, baby. <laughs> you must be a speeding ticket because you got fine written all over you, girl. Guys, don't let that cute skirt fool you. You better ask some questions. You better know some stuff. You better look a lot deeper than skin deep. Can I stop and preach this for a moment? You better fall in love with more than a beautiful body. Because this old flesh is dying and it's wearing down. Uh, and it's going to get old and it's going to get wrinkled and it's going to get stretched. Uh, and it's going to be gaining a few pounds and losing. Come on, somebody. Uh, and the skin ain't always going to be without blemishes and the hair might change colors. Uh, and if that's all you fell in love with, uh, when they begin to change, uh, then you have nothing else left in the relationship. Uh, you better fall in love with a whole lot more uh, than a size Honey, you better be impressed with a lot more than those muscles he's got on his arms uh, because those muscles ain't going to pay no bills. Uh, those muscles ain't going to put food on no table. Uh, 
those muscles that I wish I could get a witness up in this building. You better fall in love with a man who's a hard worker, uh, who loves God, uh, who's going to love you uh, after you give him four babies uh, and you don't look the same uh, and you don't have, come on, I wish I had a witness. Uh, you better fall in love with a man uh, who'll still look at you and tell you how beautiful you are, uh, who'll still hug you like the day he married you, uh, who will learn how to kiss you better uh, as the years go by than he did on your first, I wish I could get a witness. You better think past what you see right now. Come on, somebody. Don't let that cute haircut and cheap cologne fool you. That ain't Gucci. That's a used bottle of Gucci. He got a TJ Maxx on sale. And his mama paid for it. I can't get no help up in here. He's stunting, girl. That ain't his Cadillac. That's his grandpa's car. <laughs> Looks can be deceiving. There's some people in the building tonight that can testify. They wish they could sue for false advertising. They ain't going to say amen right now, but they're in the building. Trust me. Desperation is your enemy. I'm going to say that one more time for the hearing impaired. Desperation is your enemy. It will cause you to make major mistakes. You down here at the altar singing, I, I'm desperate for you. You ain't singing about Jesus, girl. We all know better. <laughs> Desperation will cause you to make poor decisions. You need to have a made-up mind that if I die without a boyfriend or girlfriend, I will never compromise my integrity or my walk with God for anybody. Come on, I need more shouters than that. I said, you've got to make up in your mind uh, that if I die and I never get married, uh, I will not compromise my integrity uh, or my walk with God uh, for anybody. I don't know why I feel this in the Holy Ghost, but I'm going to hit this real quick. You better be careful of the young men and young ladies uh, that the enemy will allow to come into the church uh, that are only here uh, to try to find who they can hook up with. Uh, they'll get baptized. Uh, they'll speak in tongues. They may even sit in a Bible study. Uh, but you better beware and have some discernment uh, of people who come in here uh, and they, go, they have ulterior motives and agendas. Uh, and when they get what they want, uh, baby, they're going to try to drag you out into the world. Come on. Uh, I'm saying this in the Holy Ghost tonight. Uh, and desperation, ladies, ain't cute. And a good man can smell it a mile away. Young lady, you have no business chasing after a man. Let him chase after you. 
God designed the man to be a hunter. Let him hunt. And don't let him get you easy. I wish I had a witness in the building. You better make sure the test is strong enough uh, to weed out the weak men uh, and the poor. Uh, come on, you better make sure the test uh, is good enough uh, to weed out the carnal jokers, uh, the fake jokers, uh, the weak jokers. I wish I had a witness in the building. Uh, when you chase a man, uh, you're showing how desperate you are. Uh, you're showing how easy. There are many things in life worse than being single. That's not me. That's the word of God. Thank you for asking me to give you scriptural reference. I think I will. Proverbs 21 and 19. Now, you know, oftentimes when the scripture is referencing something as a man or woman, it, it can be used either direction when it comes to general human behavior. So take it as you need to tonight. But Proverbs 21 and 19 says, It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. Don't make me flip and start a marriage seminar preach to the married folk. Y'all better give me some amens up in this building. Better to dwell in the wilderness alone. Proverbs 25 and 24 says, It is better to dwell in the corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a white house. I'll go hang up here with the pigeon on the edge of the roof instead of living up in this house with a woman who's going to act like this. There's a lot worse things than being single men and ladies. You hook up with the wrong person and you will wish you had remained single. Come on, somebody. See, some of us are lost in la-la land. And you don't have to sit behind my desk every day and help people through poor decisions that they made because they ignored the voice of God and the spirit of God and the word of God and the people that God put in their lives. Watch how they talk to their parents. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Do they got a smart mouth with their parents? Are they disrespectful, sharp with their tongue, inconsiderate? If they talk that way to their parents, then they're going to talk to your parents that way. And pretty soon you won't have in-laws, you'll have outlaws. I can't get no help up in this church tonight. Inspect. I'm going to aim this one at, at the men because ultimately it's the man's job to provide for the home. I knew that would go over like a pregnant pole vaulter, like a crocheted bathtub. I get it. We live in a society sometimes both people got to work to try to reach the goal. But honey, it is ultimately the man's responsibility to take care of his family. Inspect his work ethic. 
Don't marry him lazy thinking you're going to turn him into somebody who has work ethic. If you marry him lazy, don't you complain and shout and scream and want a divorce six months later because he's lazy. No, you picked him. Now you can pray for him and perhaps God will get a hold of him and he will become everything that God has called him to be. But baby, you had an opportunity to inspect before the connect. First Timothy 5 and 8 says, but if any provide not for his own and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. There are too many deadbeat dads and husbands. Find you a man who ain't afraid to work. Come on, somebody. That little GQ soft fella ain't gonna do the trick when it comes down to making things happen. Come on, I, I'm preaching. I'm not preaching against a guy getting a manicure or a pedicure, but if that little that little pedicure or manicure is going to keep him from doing what he's got to do uh, to provide for his home, uh, baby, that's not a man. That's He's still a boy. He hadn't grown up yet. Uh, he hadn't become. Get you a man who ain't afraid to get dirty if he has to. Uh, ain't afraid. Come on. Uh, ain't afraid to get sweaty if he has to. Uh, whatever it takes to provide for his family, uh, he's ready to get. He may have to cook a hamburger. Uh, he may have to, whatever it takes. All work is honorable uh, as long as he's up doing his best uh, for his family every single day. And let me preach this while I'm here. Uh, if you got a man uh, who's doing the best he can, uh, don't you compare him to everybody else uh, and tell him how he's not good enough uh, and he's not doing enough. You're destroying your home. Uh, you're destroying your marriage. Uh, you're destroying your family. Uh, baby, if you want to see him do better, uh, you better get to being the wind beneath his wings. Uh, you better learn how to encourage him. Uh, you better start learning uh, how to help him become uh, and be his his help meet, uh, not his boxing opponent, uh, that he's, come on, I wish I had a witness in the building. Uh, I don't care if he's working at McDonald's right now. Uh, if he's getting up and going to work every day, uh, you ought to celebrate him when he comes home uh, and thank him for getting up and doing his best uh, and pray for him uh, and help him uh, until God elevates him uh, and he gets, I wish I had a witness. Some of y'all want to be a princess, but you don't know how to treat him like a king. Some of you want to be the queen, but yet you treat him like he's a peasant. If you want to be the queen, you better learn how to make him your king. You better learn how to revere him and respect him. And Ain't nothing more discouraging than a woman who's his wife's husband's worst critic. He's got a responsibility to provide. So if you're going to expect that out of him, which you should, you better do your part to be his helpmate. Your job is to help him be successful in everything he puts his hand to do. I can't buy an amen up in this building tonight. That's what a helpmate does. 
It's my job. I'm, I'm, your, I'm your right hand and your left hand, honey. Uh, I'm here to help you make it happen. Uh, whatever we got to do to get the job done, I'm here. I wish I had some more women in the building that would shout right now. Is he preparing for life? What is his sense of responsibility? Because if he's 18 years old and all he wants to do is sit and play video games for six hours a day, he ain't ready. He's... Age is not an indicator of maturity. He might have an 18-year-old body, but he's a six-year-old boy in his behavior. I'm losing them, Jesus. What is he doing to prepare for life? Now, lest somebody goes out of here and takes what I said out of context, I'm not saying you can't play video games as a hobby or have fun. But if it's what consumes your life and is keeping you from your responsibilities, you're not a man. You're a boy still. You want to be a man? Act like a man. You want a man's respect? Put a man's behavior on the table. I wish I had some witnesses up in the building. To... We live in a society, too many guys acting like boys but they kick the front door of their house down, beating their chest like a gorilla, demanding, respect me. Respect me. Don't give me no respect. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how to say this. I'll let y'all finish that one. Bible, I've already quoted this, commands a man to love his wife as Christ loved the church. The disposition of a mature man and his love, if he's ready, he ought to have a disposition of giving. He gave himself for it. Y'all ready for the next part of this? I hope you're taking notes tonight. Section number two and the beginning of my message after my introduction. I'm just kidding. So what do I do if I feel like I am interested in someone? You ready? Number one, take notes, write this down. Number one, talk to God. Spend time in prayer. I can't tell you how many times a young man or young lady, ooh, I'm, I'm kind of interested in so-and-so. Have you prayed about it? No, not really. Why, why are we even here? Why, why are we even talking? Pray. Talk to God. Sometimes you won't even go any further than that because God will just be like, nope, that ain't the one. Nope, she ain't the one. Nope, he ain't the one. If you don't feel a no from God and, and, and you feel clearance at that level, number two, in this order, 
Talk to the man of God. You've been praying about it. You don't feel any, anything stop you. The next thing you do, talk. I can't tell you how many young people that sometimes I'll hear, oh, they've been talking to so-and-so for six months. I ain't heard nothing about it. So-and-so might be on probation at their church and nobody in the church knows because the pastor's protecting them and they ain't talked to me, so I haven't talked to their pastor and they don't even know they're running around with somebody who's not even living right at their own church, who's got issues that they're not even aware of. Talk to the man of God. He has to give an account for your soul. He's accountable for you. There's going to be times, and if it's in a local church, it's even more poignant because there might be some dynamics going on that you're not even aware of with somebody. That young man may be a sex offender. I don't get up on the platform and put everybody on blast. He may be struggling with homosexuality. But you think he's cute. And he's batted his eyes at you a few times. And so you've been talking on the phone, getting emotionally attached, and ain't never followed protocol. This is how you get yourself in trouble. This is how you get yourself in predicaments. Talk to the man of God. Let the man of God pray with you. Let him do his part. To pray and, and, and to have some conversations and find some things out. And, and, and there might be some things. You know what his job is? He is the watchman on the wall. And he's on the wall for a reason. Because he has a different perspective than you do. If he's up on the wall and you're down there, you and him don't see things the same way. It's supposed to be like that. Well, we just don't see eye to eye. It's supposed to be that way. I'm not supposed to see eye to eye with you. I'm not standing on the ground where you're at. I'm the watchman on the wall. I've got a view from a pastoral level that God's given me to watch. And there may be some things I see that you're not even aware of or thinking about. This is good preaching tonight. Well, what, what if my man of God misses it? What if he's wrong? Well, is it your job to, to correct him? Is it your job to fix that? Do you not think God is big enough to handle your man of God? The clay feet of ministry? And why is it there was never a problem before until now? <laughs> you prayed about it and there's no red lights and, and then you talk to the man of God and the man of God feels good about it, doesn't see any problems or challenges. Number three, talk to your parents. I thought I'd have more amen from the parents in the building at least. That's right, we still preach. If you're living at home, you're under your parents' roof, then you're accountable to your parents. That's right, you need to go talk to your mom and dad and get their perspective and their feelings and talk to your mom and dad about it. I've been praying about it. I talked to the man of God about it. Mom and dad, I want to bring this to you. I want to see how you feel about it. If you get past number one, number two, talk to your parents. Your parents... Feel good about it? Yeah, okay. You prayed about it. Talk to your, your, 
Talk to bishop, talk to pastor. Okay, good. I think we feel okay with it. If you're a young man, the next step is now you talk to her mom and dad. Come on, some of y'all trying to exchange numbers and get involved in stuff. Uh, parents aren't even aware of it. That's, that's sus, yo. That's sus. You bugging, bro. You bugging. And don't tell me you built different. You bugging. <laughs> Talk to her mom and dad. And young man, if you don't have the courage to do that, you ain't ready. Woo-wee. Step number five. Guess what step number five is? Then you can approach her about talking to her. All that other stuff first. How many young people are blowing past all the safety stops, all of God's protection, all of God's safety, all of the pro making plans, got deals going, blew past praying, blew past the man of God, blew past praying. This is how you get yourself in trouble. This is, you, you know what happens is you bypass all the protocols and you, by nature, become emotionally attached. And then, as a secondary thought, you go back to do these other things. And then when your man of God says, I don't feel good about it, you get angry and bitter at him. Because now you're emotionally attached, and it hurts to break up, and it hurts to separate. And now you got too much in the game. And now, you're, now you've put yourself in an awkward position, and a difficult position. And you've made yourself vulnerable to disobey and to do what's wrong. And come on, I can't get a witness up in the... You can avoid all of the heartache and headache if you'll just do things God's way. If you run across a young man or a young lady who looks at this and says, it don't take all of that, all that's, they don't do that at my church, they ain't the one. I can't be responsible for what other churches neglect to preach and teach at their churches. I can't be responsible for that. I can't be responsible uh, for what they may be ignoring at their church or say, I can't be responsible for those things. But I am responsible uh, as the man of God in this house uh, to preach truth, uh, to protect you, uh, to encourage you, uh, to instruct you. Come on, somebody. But if that's their attitude towards what the man of God has established for your life, that's their attitude toward it, they ain't the one. Go back to the rest of what I just said. They failed five or six tests right there. Step five is talking to them to now try to initiate the relationship. And if any of these steps fail, go back to step one. Talk to God. Can I just throw this in here for extra credit tonight? If you are wise, you will limit the voices you allow to influence your decision. 
everybody in your life doesn't have a say-so. Just because they're your BAE doesn't mean they got a say-so when it comes to major decisions in your life. Some of us need to quit handling our life like a political campaign where we're trying to see what the majority thinks and what's the popular vote. And, and what, that you set yourself up for trouble because sometimes God's answer and God's will is totally opposite of the general consensus. And if you're living your life based on what everybody else says should be okay to do, you're setting yourself up for failure. If you're going to be what God wants you to be, you have to learn how to obey and embrace God's no. Jesus said, why call ye me Lord and do not the things which I tell you? David went to the man of God, said, I want to build a house for God. Man of God initially just said, hey, what could be wrong with that? Sounds good to me. That's a noble idea. Do all that is in thine heart. But you know what happened? God spoke to the man of God. And the man of God went back to David and said, I know I told you yes, but God told me no. Can God tell you no in your life without you losing out with God? Without you getting bitter? without you getting angry, without you making excuses. Come on, somebody. How you handle God's no will determine everything about God's yeses in your future. Don't get in front of the process. Don't take opinion polls about what to do in your life. Once you have permission, then you must court or date according to the guidelines set forth in the word of God and the man of God that's in your life. Amen, somebody. You ready? Taking good notes. Number one, he or she is your brother or sister first. Just because you've obtained permission to start courting doesn't make them your boo thing. Since when do we start unleashing terms of endearment over people that we barely started talking to? Oh my God. <laughs> they are your brother or sister first. And if you wouldn't treat or talk to your brother or sister that way, then don't do it with them. Number two, rules and boundaries are not there just to keep you in, but to keep the enemy out. Hear me tonight. They are not restrictive. They are protective. Too many things we blame on the devil are really our flesh. The scripture says when a man is tempted, he is drawn away by his own lust. Be a realist when it comes to your flesh. Your flesh can fall. 
The scripture says to give no place to the devil. Don't put yourself in situations where you are vulnerable, where your flesh becomes vulnerable. People who say, I would never do that. I trust them the least. They don't have a clear understanding of who they are. They literally think that their flesh is sanctified. They, they, they do. Since Tricia, they don't have a revelation that they got the same sinful flesh as the person out on the park who's not even in the church tonight. I would never. Oh, yes, you would. Or they say, you just don't trust me. Honey, I don't trust myself. I sure enough don't trust your flesh. I don't trust mine. I can't get no help in the building tonight. This ain't about trusting each other. This is about understanding and having wisdom. Woo-wee. Romans chapter 7, verse 14 through 16 says, I'm hurrying. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. Now the apostle Paul wrote this. And if he had wisdom to write this, where does that leave us? The law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, this is a good rap song right here. I consent unto the law that it is good. He understood the proclivities of his flesh. And so, if you are courting or dating, there are guidelines in place that are there to protect us. Amen, somebody? You ready for the guidelines? Guideline number one, take notes. And your parents may have boundaries that are more protective than the ones I'm about to give you. And if they are, then you will obey them. If your parents aren't quite right and have less restrictive guidelines, then you need to hold yourself accountable to the greater rule. You need to go the extra mile. Thank you, mom and dad, for the guidance. I'm going to move it to an even safer level. Amen, somebody. I want to share with you, before I share with you our guidelines, I want to share with you some guidelines that one father put in place concerning dating his daughters or his daughter. He said, rule number one, if you pull into my driveway and honk, you better be delivering a package because you're sure not picking anything up. <laughs> Number two, you do not touch my daughter. You may glance at her so long as you do not peer at anything below her neck. If you cannot keep your eyes or hands off of my daughter's body, I will remove them. These are good guidelines, Brother Collins. Number three, he said, I am aware 
that it is considered fashionable for boys of your age to wear their trousers so loosely that they appear to be falling off their hips. Please don't take this as an insult, but you and all of your friends are complete idiots. Still, I want to be fair and open about this issue, so I propose this compromise. You may come to the door with your underwear showing and your pants, 10 sizes too big, and I will not object. However, in order to ensure that your clothes do in fact not come off during the course of your date with my daughter, I will use my nail gun to fasten your pants securely in place. Let me, let me throw this out here because sometimes it ain't a problem with baggy pants. It's a problem with pants that are too tight. Skinny jeans and pencil pants. Come on, somebody. What you trying to attract? If I can see the face of George Washington on the back of a quarter through your back pocket, your pants are too tight. His next rule... His next rule says, I'm sure you've been told that in today's world, sex without utilizing a barrier method of some kind can kill you. Let me elaborate. When it comes to sex, I am the barrier and I will kill you. He said, it is usually understood that in order for us to get to know each other, we should talk about sports, politics, and other issues of the day. Please do not do this. The only information I require from you is an indication of when you expect to have my daughter safely back at my house. And the only word I need from you on the subject is early. His next rule he said, I have no doubt that you are a popular fellow with many opportunities to date other girls. This, And this is fine with me as long as it is okay with my daughter. Otherwise, once you have gone out with my little girl, you will continue to date no one but her until she is finished with you. If you make her cry, I will make you cry. <laughs> Rule number seven, he said... As you stand in my front hallway waiting for my daughter to appear and more than an hour goes by, do not sigh or fidget. If you want to be on time to the restaurant, you should not be dating my daughter. She is getting ready, a process that can take longer than painting the Golden Gate Bridge. Instead of just standing there, why don't you do something useful like change the oil in my car? He said, these are places that are not appropriate for a date with my daughter. Places where there are beds, sofas, or anything softer than a wooden stool. Places where there is darkness. Places where there's dancing, holding hands, or happiness at all. Places where the ambient temperature is warm enough to entice my daughter to wear shorts, tank tops, midriff t-shirts, or anything other than overalls, a sweater, and a goose down parka zipped up to her throat. Old folks' homes are a great place to go. His next rule, he said, 
do not lie to me. I may appear to be a pot-bellied, balding, middle-aged dimwit, but concerning issues relating to my daughter, I am the all-knowing, merciless king of your universe. And if I ask you where you are going and with whom you have, a, you have one chance to tell me the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I have a shotgun, a shovel, and five acres behind the house. Do not trifle with me. His next rule, he said, be afraid. Be very afraid. It takes very little for me to mistake the sound of your car in the driveway for a chopper coming in over a rice paddy near Hanoi. And when my Agent Orange starts acting up, the voices in my head frequently tell me to clean the gun as I wait for you to bring my daughter home as soon as you pull into the driveway. As soon as you pull into the driveway, you should exit the car with both hands in plain sight. Speak the perimeter password and announce in a clear voice that you have brought my daughter home safely and early, then return to your car. There's no need for you to come inside. The camouflage face at the window is mine. Here's some questions that might be asked. Number one, am I old enough to date? I'm going to refer to my first statement before I make this one. Age is not always indicative of maturity. I know 55-year-olds that aren't mature enough to date. And so we will say that technically 16. 16's old enough to work a job, have a car, have some money. I mean, if you don't have those things, what you going to do? Pick her up on your skateboard? Walk to McDonald's and share some nuggets? <laughs> I mean, unless that's really what she wants. However, turning 16 doesn't automatically make you a candidate. So don't argue if you turn 16 and your mom or your pastor or somebody says you're just not ready. Let me say this tonight, okay? In a revival church like this, this is important. When a young person comes in or a young single man or a young single lady comes into the church, they are not on the market immediately for dating. Just be... Some of them are still trying to dry their hair from the baptistry and you're trying to get their phone number. I can't get no help up in this Holy Ghost church. Ooh, girl. Do you see who got baptized today? They call it being born again for a reason. A new convert is a baby. Is it appropriate for your baby to date? Is it appropriate for your toddler to date? It would be 
a disservice to get involved in a relationship while they are trying to spiritually mature. And if you're trying to pursue people who are new converts in the church, you could just be impeding them and being a stumbling block for the process of God that he's trying to work in their life. God's trying to capture their heart and mold them and remake them. And you are complicating the hand of God in their life by introducing a dynamic that they're not ready for. If God is in it, it will unfold at the right time. If you're dating, it is never, tell your neighbor, never means never, appropriate to be together without chaperones. Well, they don't teach that at that other church. I can't be responsible for the level of fornication they have to deal with in that church because they have no guidelines. God didn't put you there. He planted you by rivers of water that would feed you to become prosperous and fruitful in your life. Got to have chaperones. And chaperones need to be approved by pastoral leadership. Why? Because not everybody is qualified to be a chaperone. Your three-year-old sister is not a chaperone. Your carnal cousin who's half backslid is not an approved chaperone. I don't care if he's married and he's 25. Oh, it's getting tight up in here. No dating alone. I don't care how old you are. Well, I'm 47. I don't need no chaperone. No, 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 you don't. You need two of them. The older you get, the less I trust you. Your clock tick-tocked way farther than the 17-year-old's, baby. Now, you're the one that's most in trouble and in danger than anybody. I might need four chaperones for you. See, I can't get no help up in here. Your age does not qualify you. You don't reach an age where you're no longer tempted. There's no magical age you reach that your flesh no longer wants to do. I'm 45. I don't want to do wrong things anymore. The devil is a whole lie. So if you see some senior citizens getting jiggy with it, and they decide they want a date, they're going to have to have chaperones. Come on, somebody. This is really good preaching tonight. Amen. Help us, Jesus. If you're dating, and you're going to go on a date, you need to have a game plan of where you're going, where you're going to be, when you're going to be there, and the people you're accountable to, your mom, your dad, they need to know what the game plan is. Oh, this is so good. And if you're in our household, we also got you tracking on Apple, you know, find my iPhone, and I got special devices connected to the bumper of your car. 
I got a microchip in his hair he doesn't even know about. I will find you. <laughs> Be accountable. Stick to the plan. Be where you're supposed to be. I thought you were supposed to be here. Oh, we decided to change. No, 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 no. That's a good way to lose trust. That's a quick way to break down trust with the people who are helping you be accountable in your life. And Mom and dad, if this isn't the level of accountability you're providing to your children, shame on you. It's time to make some changes. If there needs to be a change of plans for some unforeseen reason, a phone call ought to be placed immediately. Here's what's happening. Here's what we're thinking about doing. I wanted to call and talk to you about it. Amen, somebody. Mom and dad, don't be lazy. You better keep an eye on them and hold them accountable. I'm losing all the parents. I better move on. It is appropriate for the young man to take care of the cost of the date. I mean, this is the first opportunity to demonstrate his ability to provide and cover. Next point, I'm hurrying, music comes so they think I'm closing. I really am almost done. Next point, write this down. Absolutely, positively, no touching. See, we live in a world that says this is crazy. Uh, that's not our goal is to be like the world, full of sin and disease and fornication and lust. We're not doing what the world does. We've got the wisdom of God's word and the Holy Ghost in our life. And if you don't understand why there's no touching, go ask your mom and dad when you get home. Because kissing makes babies. Because the ankle bone's connected to the leg bone and the... No holding hands. No hugging, no kissing, no snuggling. There'll come an appropriate time for all of that. But while you're courting, don't open the door and put yourself in a position where you give place to the devil and your flesh. Back when I was growing up in church, they had a 12-inch rule. When you sat next to each other, they 12 inches. Don't even sit too close to each other. They make you put a Bible there until people started trying to put the little Gideon New Testament, you know. Nowadays, they just take their iPhone, that's their Bible, and slide it. This is good preaching tonight. Let me give you Bible for this. Bring it up, media. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 2. It says, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Come on, somebody. I'm, I'm giving you the word of the Lord. It is good for a man not 
to touch a woman. Next verse, why? Nevertheless, to avoid fornication. There's your answer. That's why we don't hold hands, kiss, hug, snuggle. Why? Because we're working to avoid fornication. Because your flesh does not want to stop at holding hands. Your flesh does not want to stop at a kiss or a hug. To avoid fornication. Let every man have his own wife, let every woman have her own husband. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 18 says to flee fornication. Young lady, if you're talking to a young man, courting, dating, and he tries crossing these boundary lines, and he doesn't have enough respect for you and himself and God's authority, his word, all of those things, he doesn't have enough of that respect, kick him to the curb. And if there's no curb, build a curb and kick him to it. You ought to have enough self-respect and dignity for who you are and your relationship in God that you are worth more than satisfying some guy's little temporary fleshly desire that he can't keep under control. You ought to have more value and think higher of yourself uh, than some tool or toy. Come on, somebody. Let's stand all over this place. When you're courting, Stay in the light. Avoid dark places. There ain't no reason to be in the dark. The Bible says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. You're not a cockroach. Get out in the light. Only cockroaches run to the dark. Stay in the light. Don't be out here in the dark parking lot by yourselves talking. Come on, protect your character. Protect your name. Don't let your good be evil spoken of. If you're talking about stuff that you can't let nobody else talk to, you're probably not having appropriate conversations. Which leads me to my next point. Guard your conversations. You have no business when you're courting and dating talking about biological functions of the body or other inappropriate content. If you wouldn't have the conversation in front of your parents or your pastor, you shouldn't be having it with each other. Come on, you think I'm crazy? This is how people fall into fornication. This is how they get in trouble. This is how they cross the line. It starts with thoughts, conversation, then actions. If you don't think it, you won't say it. If you don't say it, you won't act upon it. That's why Adam had enough sense to tell Eve. God said don't eat it, but we ain't even going to touch it. Because if we don't touch it, we won't eat it. You need to learn how to look at them and say, can't touch this. First Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 12. Let's read this. I'm, I'm hurrying. I promise you. I'll be done in less than five minutes. 
First Timothy 4 and 12. Pull that up for them, please. It says, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. Young person, I know you're a young person, you're a youth, but God's charge to you is to be an example. Be an example. How? In word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. They're all tied together. Let's talk about curfew tonight. Some of us have forgot about that. And if the curfew we set, if your parents have one that's earlier, you're going to follow mom and dad's curfew. Because God, the first commandment from God with promise is obey your mother and father. If their curfew is later, you're going to thank them for their guidance, but I'm going to get home a little bit earlier than that, mom and dad. You should be at home by no later than midnight. You can't get it done by midnight. It don't need to get done till tomorrow in the context of dating and courting. Woo, this is good stuff. Mom and dad, if you're letting your kid run the streets at one, two, three o'clock, you're not using wisdom. You've not sat in enough situations with young people that are falling into sin to realize. And curfew means curfew. That phone ought to be turning off probably about the same time you get home. Because when you get home and then you're on your phone till 3 o'clock in the morning texting, it's, it's unproductive conversation. You don't sit in my office and have to deal with the inappropriate stuff happening on telephones at 1 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning. Come on, somebody. I know some parents who have a lot of wisdom. You know what they do? At midnight or when it's time to go to bed, everybody's phones go on the kitchen counter. have time to deal with all that tonight how many of you want to keep yourself to be what God has called you to be I think we ought to lift our hands one good time tonight before we leave I'm done tonight but I want us to lift our hands because I don't want to leave this house tonight without the word of the Lord that was brought forth finding its place in our spirit and in our heart tonight come on can we take just a moment some of us are coming to the altar that's okay Maybe God's calling you to reaffirm and, and reconfirm some commitments to God and in your walk with God. That's it. Lift your hands. Begin to talk to Him tonight. God, I've got to be what you've called me to be. God, I've got to do things right. God, I don't want to jeopardize my anointing. I don't want to jeopardize your hand on my life. Come on, lift your hands. There's some moms and dads in the building that ought to take a few moments right now to get some things right, to make some adjustments. Come on, so take my heart, take my, my heart, and mold it. Take my mind, transform it. Take my will, come for it. To yours, to yours. Oh, Lord, take my heart, take my heart.
Somebody give him a praise in this house tonight. Come on, somebody give him a praise tonight.